you have to be who you are. You have to embrace your roots and shine with shine with that. Sir, diversity and inclusion can be touchy. It can be overcomplicated and sometimes very nuanced and hard to get grips with. And that is everything we hope this podcast will be. Welcome to the Digest from Diversity, where we take a frank, direct look at the stories of global allies, activists, and advocates of their lives, understanding their journey and motivations to make the world a more diverse and inclusive place to be, as well as the ways in which they're currently doing just that. So my name is Hayley Baker, and I've been active in the United States for many years. I'm the co-founder of Diversity, a tech platform that helps businesses achieve better diversity. And I can't promise we'll get everything right or cover every angle on this podcast. But what I can promise is that we'll learn together ways to make better approaches to overcome sometimes tricky and deep topics. So in this episode of Digest, I can't wait to introduce you to Sergio Pende, founder of the leadership development platform Roots Inspire. He's on a mission to increase ethnic diversity across corporate leadership positions. And without giving away too much, Sergio has spent most of his career in corporate banking across Europe and Asia. A far cry from his humble beginnings in life and the motivation for him to help others from underrepresented ethnic backgrounds to break through corporate ceilings. Sergio has always been a bit of an innovator in his field and now has chosen to use those skills and his experience to develop a platform that aims to change the corporate landscape. His core belief is that more ethnically diverse representation in those positions will unlock a positive spiral effect throughout the organization. Certainly something we can fully agree to at Diversely, and we'd love to delve into more detail in this chat. So on that introduction, welcome Sergio to the Digest. Well, yeah, thank you, Haley. And I always love chatting with you. And what I think is really cool is that we met each other in Singapore, we were introduced in Singapore, and look at us now. You know, I'm in the Caribbean, you're in Eastern Europe, and uh, yeah, we're going over the world and, uh, and doing amazing things, I think. You're absolutely right. Um, definitely a lot of uh, diverse backgrounds on this podcast alone. Uh, and I was just saying before we kicked off, um, usually we end up chatting a lot in Dutch. Uh, Netherlands is both kind of our, our home country. But of course, we'll stick to English for now for our audience. Um, so Sergio, uh, I touched upon it slightly in the introduction, but would you mind sharing a bit more about your background and you know why the odds were not in favor of a corporate banking career? Yeah, yeah. So I was I was born in Suriname, which um, probably people outside of the Netherlands don't even know where it is. But it's it's South America, but more of a Caribbean culture. Um, my dad is from Suriname, but Indian roots. There's a big Indian population there as well. My mom is from Curacao, which is also a small Caribbean island that nobody knows outside of the Netherlands. But, um, but yeah, it's in the Dutch Caribbean, so both Suriname and uh, Curacao were former Dutch colonies. And um, so I have a very mixed, um, well, racially very mixed, uh, culturally uh, different things. And, uh, and I grew up in the Netherlands. I was two when I moved to the Netherlands. Uh, grew up there, accidentally, you know, uh, uh, went into banking, which I had no idea what I was, you know, doing really. But, um, but yeah, and then um, had a banking career, moved to Singapore, lived there for seven and a half years. And now I'm out of banking and in Curacao. 
um, and uh, and starting a new, you know, a social entrepreneurial life. So that's a bit my background. Thanks so much. Uh, so, you know, you said you accidentally ended up in banking. I don't know if a lot of people would say that. What was the, the point that made you turn in that direction? Well, what I, what I, where I consider myself very lucky is that, so I had, I had nobody in the family that had, had any clue on corporate life, like many ethnic minority people, you know, they, they, I wasn't the first to go to university in the family, but definitely in corporate life, there was nobody. I was raised by my mom um, as a single mom who was a, um, a secretary. Uh, so I didn't have access to a lot of information or tips on where to go. Now, what I also didn't do, which I should have definitely done, is do a lot more research on what is possible and what is out there, right? I was very young when I finished my master's. I was 21. So, and I was big into kickboxing and that was my world. So I wasn't too interested in the whole corporate thing and the whole career thing. Uh, but it was actually one of the professors at university that said, oh, yeah, well, I have a contact in um, ABN Amro, a Dutch bank, um, and you can do an internship there if you want to. So that's how I ended up there. Then they offered me a job. Then I snooped around and found out that banking just pays a hell of a lot more money than a lot of other industries. And that's how I ended up in banking because, you know, it wasn't uh, – I studied econometrics, so – there's a lot of different directions you can go with that. But uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in banking. Interesting. So a, a fluke introduction to kickboxing. Who would have known? Um, and, and, you know, being an ethnic uh, minority group in banking, do you think there were ways in which that influenced also your, you know, day-to-day -day experiences or how your career developed from there? Oh, absolutely. Um, I would go as far as to say that if you're not white and you work in a large corporate organization in the Western world, ethnicity is a major part of your career. And you know, I'm not talking. I'm not even talking about discrimination or whatnot. It's, it's, a lot of stuff is also internally. You just you don't see other you know minorities there. You you. You come into a big organization, you're like, hey, wait a minute, I'm one of the few here, or, or maybe the only even in the team. Um, and that does something with you, also because you don't have the examples. Well, in my case, I didn't have the examples in you know, my personal life either. There was nobody in the family or nobody in my group of friends that was doing this. So you're really trying to figure out how does this game work without being able to really ask the questions that you want to ask, right? Because you're, you're dealing with so many different questions from other people around you. Um, so yeah, it played a major part. Um, and I mean, I think a corporate career as an, as an ethnic professional, it's just, it's such a different path. You know, you, you'll have the situations where you walk into a room and I mean, you get the eyeballs, right? Because you're the odd one out. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, but it can be, or it can be very sort of 
confronting, right? So, um, so yeah, the lack of representation was a big thing. I think also, um, you know, not knowing how this world works and therefore having two completely separate worlds. At the start of my career, the Sergio that was, you know, the, my in my personal life was a completely different person than in the corporate life. And not to say that, you know, I was acting or anything like that, but just because you don't know how it works or what it takes to be successful, you assume you you're just going to try to blend in, right? And you're, you're just going to focus on the work and on the content because you feel that, okay, if I deliver good quality work, then I'm sure I'm going to be fine here, right? And that's sort of the strategy that you choose. And, and that's, I mean, I think that's also where a lot of people get stuck because the problem with the stra that strategy is that it works. In the first years of your career, maybe the first five years or a bit longer, that strategy actually works. If you deliver quality results, everybody around you is happy, your boss is happy, you'll get your initial promotions, and you think like, okay, I got this down. I know how this works now, and I'm, I'm successful, right? But then you get to a leadership level and then it's a whole different ballgame. Then all of a sudden, it's not about quality of work because that's just expected at that level. It's about who do you know? Do you have sponsors in the company? Do you um, know how this corporate politics work and how to play that game? And maybe most importantly, or not maybe, definitely most importantly, it's visibility, exposure, which if you've always chosen the strategy of focusing on the work, focusing on the quality, and maybe even being a bit over-professional and not showing yourself because you think like, hey, I'm different, you know, I need to fit in, then that starts to work against you when you get to the leadership levels. And I think that is an, um, a very important topic that we, that we focus on with, with Roots Inspire as, as well, but we, we get to that. No, definitely. And I think you touched upon a lot of really interesting points that are so transferable to other groups, not just ethnic professionals, but any underrepresented group in the workforce. I, I heard, you know, you can't be what you can't see, which we hear a lot uh, also when we're speaking about uh, gender representation. Um, and secondly, I think the point around pie, which I'm sure you're familiar with. So you know, a chart of how you spend your time in the corporate world being performance, uh, I think image and exposure. And that a lot of groups that aren't as aware of, you know, corporate culture, they're focused fully on performance, getting the job done working. Whereas, you know, actually, especially as you look higher up the, the corporate ladder, you'll see that actually the I and the E are so much more important where people focus more attention. So, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. What was it yeah, in your career where you went and where you almost woke up to this? Because, you know, you mentioned the first few years it worked. When did it stop working for you? And was there a almost like an aha moment or did that happen gradually over time? I think most of it happens gradually as your confidence builds. But there definitely was a, well, a team that I was part of, you know, very early in my career. I, I think I had 
had three years of working experience and then I switched jobs and I switched companies as well. And then I arrived in a team that was just breeding diversity because they, it was a very creative team, which creativity in banks is something that you don't see a lot. You're from banking, so you, you know as well. But this, this team was really, you know, coming up with new ideas, doing sort of, um, you know, almost arbitrage type of uh, deal. So it was very important that a lot of different skills were represented in the team. So I'm talking about somebody with a legal background, somebody with an accounting background, somebody with, you know, so, so skills-wise, it was diversity, but also backgrounds, you know. And still, I was sort of the only uh, non-white in the team, but there were people that, you know, were more of sort of the, you know, um, the traditional corporate posh background, but also people, you know, uh, you know, we had an Italian in the team, we had... Um, you know, people that come from uh, just uh, more humble upbringing. So it was also in terms of personalities, it was very diverse. And then you get to a situation where nobody is the majority. And I think this is, to me, uh, something that people often get wrong. When we think about diversity, we think about, oh, yeah, we need a woman in the team, and we need uh, a black person in the team, and we need. But really, if you if you look at the stories, the success stories where a diversity really starts shining, really starts benefiting from the diversity, it's situations where there is no majority. Because even you know, if the majority is white, they're all so different and coming from such different backgrounds that you know there is no clear majority. And then, you, and then you get a vibe in the team where everybody's open to listen and open to hear each other's perspectives because everybody is a minority. And as a minority, that's what you do. You learn and you, you observe and, you, and, and that's how you go. So for me, that was a defining moment where I saw the power of diversity and I also started to realize the power of being different myself. Right, where I started to slowly realize that your story is your superpower, right? Your being different is your angle. And, um, and that's what you bring to the table. And um, I think as soon as you start realizing that, then you start to get a lot more confident, and confidence is everything, right? Because then all of a sudden, the way people perceive you, you just... Yeah, then all of a sudden you get to a position where people see you as a leader or where they see that you have potential and, and it grows from there. Yeah, really interesting because, as you say, that was pretty early actually in your career. Uh, you've had quite a lengthy career. You said that was after like three, five years. Um, taking away what you, what you learned from that team, how were you able to apply that also in, in the organization? Uh, for instance, were you mentoring or sponsoring others in the organization that you worked with that came potentially from ethnic different backgrounds? What did you do with that? Yeah, so when I say it was a defining moment, I mean, that's where the, the seed was planted. It definitely wasn't, you know, I definitely wasn't there at all uh, back then, but the seed was planted and, the, and it started to grow. Actually, what happened in my career is that 
um, you know, soon after I did quit banking and I started my own company. And that was also because of frustration. So, I mean, corporate life, it, politics is very important. And if you, if you're, well, I don't know if it's you, if you're young, but that for me it was if I'm young and you're not good at politics, then you think like, okay, this is not for me. And then not seeing the representation at the senior levels, um, you know, there's always this devil on your shoulder when you're making the long hours and everything where you think like, okay, am I wasting my time here in this corporate world? Or is this going to, you know, eventually pay out for me? And, and because you have that doubt, that devil on your shoulder, um, yeah, there's an easy trigger where you say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit this corporate life. I'm going to start my own thing and I can be more successful there. So I did do that, right? And it taught me a lot because it taught me that, you know, being your own entrepreneur, it's also the same skills that you need. This, you know, what we call corporate politics, it's, it's people skills. Yeah. And it's, and you need them if you're an entrepreneur or if you're, doesn't matter, you need them, right? So at, at uh, a few years, well, two years later, I wasn't making enough money uh, with my own company, um, but I've learned, I learned a lot. They asked me back um, in banking. Um, so when I went back, I was much more prepared also for, you know, under, embracing sort of the corporate politics of what that actually is, that it is people skills and how do you get people to move and how do you, you know, how do you, if you have a great idea, how do you sell it internally, right? So influencing, exactly, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so that was another defining moment, I guess. Um, but yeah, so over time it, it, it started growing. Um, and I think part of your question was on, you know, how did you start using that also to help others and mentoring and, and I have to say, you know, the, the whole sort of being an ethnic professional thing and wanting to help others, what I had myself and I see a lot of people also sort of with that same emotion is that focusing on your own career feels like it's hard enough, right? So before you are in a position where you really feel like, okay, now I can start helping others, you need a bit of an, a, a wake-up moment. And for me, that was when George Floyd happened. I, that was really a moment where I said like, okay, I always wanted to do something and I'm, I, I was always open to talk to younger people and have coffees and sort of guide them. So there was always something that, that drove me, but now it was like, okay, we need to do something a lot bigger and a lot more influential. Um, you know, because the one-on-one -on -one chats are great, but why don't we try to really amplify this and, and really try to amplify the impact that not only me can have, but that we, that we can empower people to make this impact. Fantastic. So it sounds like the seed was planted a long time ago. It got nourished and it grew, and then George Floyd was the moment where you said, okay, I'm done, I'm going to take action now. Um, 
So no, and I'm really glad you did. And, and that's around the time that you and I started chatting and meeting for our coffees and sharing stories and inspirations and goals and all the, the, the small pains that are involved in setting up uh, an ambitious project, I guess. Um, so you set up Roots Inspire. I think two questions uh, be great because I think it is a name that speaks very much. If you could tell us where the name Roots Inspire came from. And also maybe just quickly on a side note, what you mean by ethnic professional, because I don't think it's a term that a lot of people might have heard of. Yeah. Yeah, so terminology is important to, to start with that. Uh, sometimes I think it blurs a little bit on, you know, what we're actually trying to do. Um, but we chose ethnic professional because we're focused mostly on uh, the UK and Europe. So, uh, you know, ethnic professional is probably used more there. Um, we used to use ethnic minority, but then, you know, there's some people that don't like the word minority. So I think it's all semantics. I think what we're, what it's about is um, we don't have a definition, but we, because we focus on Europe, we look at sort of ethnic minorities in the, in the corporate world from that perspective which is very different than in Asia. And people say Asia, but you and I know Asia is not Asia. There's like tons of countries with tons of different, you know, uh, uh, dynamics. But, um, but so our focus is really on Europe because we know it is still a very sensitive topic. It's very important to balance, um, you know, how you bring this across. We're working with big uh, corporate companies, so we need to make sure that we you know, we speak the corporate language that we keep people on board with the mission that we have, uh, but also, you know, push the boundaries. So um, we, we started in Europe and it is a global topic. It's what we build is applicable globally. So at some point we, we might expand, but that's for, for the future. Now, the name Roots Inspire is because the core of what we want to do is we want to show those role models, right? So um, there's something that we call the vicious cycle, where we say, what I see happening in big companies is there's no ethnic representation at the senior levels, at the leadership levels. It's very visible, right? So. Uh, just like gender, uh, ethnicity is very visible. So the lack of it is also very visible. And that means that a lot of talent um, gets lost or is not utilized because they don't, they don't see the representation. They get demotivated a bit. They either settle for a job that's just not um, suited for their, you know, their maximum potential or they quit and they go and work for a smaller company where it's easier to be visible or they work for the government. Or, so there's a lot of talent that gets lost, which means that there's not enough talent breaking through to those leadership levels, which means that again, five years later, you don't have enough uh, ethnic representation at the top. So it's a vicious cycle that just you know feeds itself. And we said, well, if you wanna change things, you need to change the representation at the top. Um, I think it's great that we have a lot of diversity and inclusion initiatives that are more on, you know, I might say 
feel good. I know it's a bit of a negative uh, tone to it, but some of them are to me a bit like that. They're feel good initiatives where you know you can wear a, a hijab to work and that's all fine. You can have a different religion. You can have a different skin color. It's all fine. You should be comfortable at work, which is what we need to do. But then if you don't see that senior representation, it's still going to be like, okay, now we're all comfortable here, but we're comfortable here in the junior layers of the company. And is it even possible to break through? And, you know, that, that glass ceiling or perception of a glass ceiling is limiting us. So we said, okay, if you really want to change things, you need to change things, representation at the top. And from there, it will spiral. Then people will feel included because they feel represented and they feel it's possible and they feel it's their place. So, but how do you do that? And we, we said, well, you know, with recruitment, it's just shifting the same people that broke through, shifting them around. But we need to increase those numbers. So we need to guide people towards those leadership positions. So we're basically we're doing two things. We, put, we pull together a group of more than 50, we call them ethnic corporate leaders. People that have broken through um, and that we showcase to show that, hey, it is possible these people have done it and not showcasing one exception, but showcasing 50 of them with 50 different styles, 50 different backgrounds, 50 different leadership you know, ways that they, they present themselves. So there's somebody that fits everybody's style, right? There's, there's somebody there that fits your style. So that's one. Showcase that and hopefully inspire people uh, that, hey, if they can do it, if these 50 can do it, I can do it. So then you get to the name, you know, Roots Inspire. Embrace your roots, embrace where you're from, and then inspire. So that's that's the inspire part and a bit of the roots part. But there's also something else, and that's um, the other side of, of, of what we're doing is I mentioned before that, you know, if you come into an organization, you're very different. You're often focused on the performance part. You're focused on you know, showing uh, quality of work and leaning on that. Now, you know, where the, the, the seed was planted for me and where that started to develop is that if you start embracing that you are different and that that's what you bring to the table, you're also more comfortable with grabbing the exposure that is required. And this exposure is crucial if you get to the leadership levels. And there's a big misconception about the exposure part of it. Because if we think about personal branding, we think about this bragging person that really, they're actually bad at their job, but they're shouting off the roof how good they are. And you know we see them succeed, and we think that's personal branding, right? But that's not the only personal branding style. In our group of mentors, 50 people there with very different styles. We have people with, that are super humble in their style. And still, their personal brand is really strong because people know what they're good at. They know they love their personality, but the personality shines, even if they're humble. And, and because they still have that very strong personal brand, that's how they broke through to leadership. So 
the you know when I say roots, the, the roots part in Roots Inspire is really to showcase that you don't have to adapt, you don't have to become you know a, a, a white uh, corporate leader because that's not what you are. There are enough of them. You have to be who you are. You have to embrace your roots and shine with shine with that. That's basically what, what we're trying to say and do. Fantastic. And and one thing that I've heard recur throughout while you've been speaking is, you know, that it's not only about the diversity that you see on the outside, but also the diversity of personality, of brand, of ways of thinking. And, and you know, that really shines through and I think is a message that is often forgotten in the diversity and inclusion space that, yes, we're looking for representation on the outside because that's what's visual and that's what can be seen. But what we're actually striving to achieve is, is, as you say, that nobody is the majority. We're all the minority, but in our different ways, on the outside and on the inside, um, which is a really cool and, message. Yeah, and I, I even uh, flip around what you're, what you're saying to even make it uh, stronger. We're not looking for diversity on the outside. We're looking for diversity on the inside. That's where the power is. Yeah. And with gender, sometimes I feel it's easier for people to understand, right? Because we we um, we all we can all agree that if you're a woman, you have a very different life experience than if you are a man, and if you um, and you will have very different perspectives because of that. So we realize that if we're a team of uh, men in leadership that a woman will probably add a very different perspective to this team, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're also taught that, oh, color shouldn't matter. We're all the same from the inside. And, and it contradicts a bit because I would say that if you are um, a person of color, your life experience is very different. And your perspectives on life are very different just because you have that different skin color. Because people look at you different. So that, that means you have a different experience. And, and, and that's the inside diversity that we're looking for. We're not looking for just to have another white person, but they're now painted black. We're looking for somebody that has an actual different life experience and different perspectives on life that add to the table and that add to decision-making. Um, so yeah, thanks for bringing that up. No, great, and I'm glad we, we both agree and I can highlight that never enough. Um, I know that you've been running the Roots Inspire program, leadership development program for a number of months now. It would be great to hear kind of your recap of you know, what you wanted to achieve then and what is the impact that you're starting to see already how many people are involved? Yeah, so um, we're, we're up and running for uh, a year. Well, no, we started more than a year ago. We uh, just closed our first financial year, but we launched in February this year with our mentors. Yeah. And then the first participants were sort of dripping in. We're now, we now have, I think it's like, well, over 50, well over 50 um mentors that we started with mm -hmm. um, and we almost have 50 
participants that are going through the program at various stages. Um, the, the response has been very positive. I think uh, what we see happen often is that um, we work with, with big companies, right? People can register for our program individually as well, but we also work with the multinationals to say, hey, give us your talent and put them on our leadership program and we'll, we'll help guide them. Um, when people are approached, the first reaction is, oh, there's another DNI initiative, right? And they're like, oh, so I'm targeted because I have a different skin color or well, how does this work? Then they look at our website and they look at what we're about and they turn around right away. Because I think something that I was very adamant about when we started this is that we're not victims. We're not taking the victim role here. We're, we're uh, building on the strengths that we have and we're you know, polishing those strengths and, and doing what's, what is in our power. You know? Corporates need to change, and you know, but what is in our, our power is you know, how, how do we make that connection? How do we um, you know, stay, take that pride in our roots and use that to our strength rather than trying to adapt? Adapting or making connection are very different things to me that are often confused. Um, so, so yeah, the feedback has been uh, of those that are approached to do it or that sign up themselves have been, has been very positive. I think what, we, what we're doing just wasn't possible in the past. We're really sort of, uh, in a way, a COVID baby because um, all of a sudden uh, mentoring over video call is now accepted. People understand that you can build personal connections over video, um, which means that we're a we were able to get a group together of, of all these leaders that we have on board. And that also for them is they flip open their laptop one hour a month and they can have a very meaningful uh, mentoring uh, relationship with somebody, right? Which if you have to do a physical program, the logistics just don't work. Um, especially with the thin representation that companies have, right? So, um, yeah, so far so good. Um, well, I mean, a bit of an understatement. I think where we are now with the names that we have on board with Unilever, ABNM, or Rebel Bank, uh, Baker McKenzie, Aliander, CBRE, I mean, we're very proud to have top employers like that adopting this or piloting this, right? But the, I'm sure that we, we, uh, we're going to expand from there. Um, yeah, but we still have a long, long way to go as well. Yep. No, it sounds great. And as you say, I'm, I'm super impressed. And I always tell you this about how far you've come. It, it was us talking in a coffee place about this conceptually. And not only have you built a platform and brought in all these amazing mentors and working with great names, but now starting to see the, the mentees develop as well. So really great movement. And when you say, you know, there's a long journey ahead, if you look um, maybe three years away from now, what would you still like to achieve with um, Roots Inspire or with the ethnic professionals that you were working with, ideally? Yeah, we have a bunch of ideas. 
Um, but there's only 24 hours in a day, it's, uh, that's the difficulty. Now we, um, I mean, to start sort of with the core of what we're doing, we, we want to be partners to um, multinationals or bigger corporations. Um, and really, if we're successful, you need us for five years, right? Where hopefully after five years, there's enough talent that is well prepared to break through and the organization themselves you know, are doing enough on their part to also make this happen, that you will have that leadership or that, that sorry, that uh, representation, that ethnic representation. That's so important for the employee engagement and to make sure that your bench, your leadership bench keeps filling itself. Right? So hopefully after five years, they don't need us anymore. We are now really starting with the front runners on the, in the BNI space. I think the companies that we have on board they're really very active on these topics, right? And then from there we go to the next, uh, the next in lines, and hopefully we change the corporate landscape there. So that's sort of the core of what we're doing. Um, next to that, we have ideas on students as well, or our career seeker, seekers. Well, like where I think when you were deciding, right? And you said I absolutely and. And if I, I mean, companies that we talk to, they want to hire more diverse. They don't get the candidates. And then you can say like, oh, you're not looking in the right places and that sort of thing, which is true. But there's also a lot of people that are just not applying because we have our um, assumptions or presumptions about what it's like working there, you know? So I, I did the banking thing, I tried it, but you know, I was very close to thinking, um, well, then I have to drink beer every Friday, I'm not gonna do that, so you know, it might not be the place for me, right? So there's a lot of assumptions that we make about the corporate culture and, and why we're not applying. And, um, and also, if you don't have anybody in your group of friends or in, in your family that works there, you might not even know the company or might not even know that that's a possibility. So we have ideas on, on doing something about that that is also very much related to, you know, building a platform and, and using technology to get that done. Um, and then the other dream is to go global. Um, I think it's a very... It's obviously a global topic. It's, um, you know, we, we touched upon it earlier where you really need to have your definition. Well, you don't need to have your definition, but you need to have your mentors that know a certain corporate culture, right? So all our mentors are from the UK or Europe, so they understand European corporate culture. So when they're sitting across somebody that is that says, hey, I was in this meeting and I tried to say this and this is what happened, that the mentor understands right away what the setting is. And that's different in Asia, different in the US, right? So if we uh, are expanding regionally, we will have to have a different set of mentors for um, different regions. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. It is so contextual and I think that's what sometimes gets lost from the diversity and inclusion conversations as well, is that you know it has to make sense what you're doing and has to be addressing the specific cultural nuances of the location. Um, 
And yeah, diversity and inclusion isn't a, uh, something that you can solve overnight by having one event uh, or you know, putting a tokenistic picture of uh, four different people on your brochure. It's a journey and uh, I hope that the companies that have signed up with you will continue that journey for you know, not just uh, the year, but perhaps those five years to ensure that, that that group of representation is there to stay and spirals down into the organizations. Um, so a huge thank you, Sergio, for joining the Digest, uh, Diversity's podcast featuring global DNI allies, activists, and advocates such as yourself. One final question to close things off. I know you have two children yourselves. Yourself, what would you wish that that corporate landscape looked like for them once they enter into the workforce? Yeah. Well, I mean, so the whole you know topic on what you um, what message you give to kids is something that I'm struggling with myself as well, right? Because something that I hear from, well, all our mentors, but also all our uh, participants on the program is that their parents have told them, you will have to work twice as hard as the next person because, you know, because of your skin color, basically. And I've also heard this. Um, and I'm really questioning whether this is a good message. Uh, you know, there's different camps there. There's saying, you know, you have to prepare kids for reality, and that is reality. But it also puts a dent in their self-esteem very early on. Because if I have to work twice as hard as the next person, why is that? Because I'm less or because, you know, so I don't want to give them that feeling either. So it's still, you know, a balance that I'm trying to find out myself. But, um, yeah, what the corporate landscape looks like, I mean, obviously, I'll make sure that they see the representation, right, that they have access to representation, which, um, well, for them, it's going to be a lot easier than it was for me, right? But, um, but um, yeah, that's a big one. And, I mean, I would, I would love it for at least leadership teams to not have majorities. I think diversity in the junior layers to me is even less important because if you know I have somebody that or some job that's really skill focused and it happens to be that women are just typically better in that specific skill and that's why we have a lot of women doing that. I mean at the at the more operational level it is less important. It's at that leadership level, that decision-making, that's where you need the power of diversity. That's where you need to make sure that you're making sustainable decisions, that you have different perspectives represented. And yeah, so um, I hope corporates start to embrace that actually diversity at leadership is even a m much, much more important topic than diversity across the board or then, you know, what what they would call inclusion for people to feel welcome and feel at their place. Hopefully that realization, realization starts to kick in. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, my voice would be amazing uh, any, any, anywhere and any how. So, I think yeah. that's a really good positive message to, to end up on and probably the better message to give them. Uh, and I know yeah. for sure that Roots Inspire is, is going to be, you know, the impact that's needed. 
So thanks so much, Sergio. It was a really a pleasure having you today. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I, you know it. I follow your journey as well. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing and achieving. I learn a lot from from you guys. And, and, um, and yeah, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Love chatting to you always. Same. Sounds like we'll need to do a follow-up in a year from now. <laughs> yeah, we should. We should. <laughs>